what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I'm Alan. And I... I'm sorry, I didn't give you the cue, Chris. I'm sorry, I should have like pointed to you. And that's, say, that's all right. The cue is now over to you. I'm, I'm Alan. And I am Chris. There we go. All right. <laughs> we'll get the hang of this one of these yeah, days. I mean, you know, it's only, we're, I don't think we're up to a hundred episodes yet, but. Not quite. Are we going to do a big victory, like a big celebration on our hundredth episode? I think, is that kind of the plan? I think we should. Very nice. Well, I'm Alan. This is Chris. Uh, this is Foot Candle Films. This is our show here on The Mesh where we talk about movies. We review some movies. We give some movie news. And we always end up the show with a recommendation of a film that you ought to check out online that you may have missed in recent years. Uh, this is part of the Mesh Network. Of course, you're listening to TheMesh.tv right now. This is one of the shows on the Mesh Network. Uh, you can always visit us at TheMesh.tv. Go back in time and listen to old episodes all the way back from the very beginning and uh, subscribe to the show, which would be really, really nice. That way you can ensure yourself that you will get every new Foot Candle Films episode that comes out. The minute it comes out, through iTunes, through Stitcher Radio, through whatever other software you use to subscribe to podcasts such as this. So Chris, today on our show, we've actually got two main big reviews of films that we're both going to review. And I cannot wait to discuss Freebirds because I know it goes without saying that Owen Wilson's vocal performance was awesome, but I'm curious to hear your take on Woody Harrelson's. I, uh, I never saw Freebirds. So oh. we may have to pass on that one today. Oh man! I'm sorry. I made you. I made you go out and watch that that movie, and now we can't review it. I'm, I'm depressed. Really sorry. <laughs> now let's let's review two films that are much much more uplifting and funny and happy go lucky as okay. we review Twelve Years a Slave, the okay. film by Steve McQueen, uh, and the documentary Blackfish, a documentary about uh, killer whales that have. Uh, Killed people. Actually, yeah, neither of those are neither really one. much happier than Freebirds. Uh, although Freebirds is about turkeys that are trying to save themselves, right? I mean, so there's a little. Okay, I admit I haven't seen it. Okay, we haven't seen it. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it then. No. We are going to talk about Twelve Years a Slave, and we're going to talk about Blackfish. Uh, talk about both both of those in just a moment, um, and uh, then we'll get into some news items, and then you and I will wrap it up as always with our recommendation of a film that we think you ought to check out. Sounds good. So let's get right into it with our first review. The film is 12 Years a Slave. I want to ask you what part of the country you come from. I originate from Canada. I guess where that is. Oh, I know where Canada is. I've been there myself. Well, travel for a slave. Solomon Northup is an expert player on the violin. I was born a free man. Lived with my family in New York. Be good for your mother. Until the day I was deceived. To Solomon. Kidnapped sold into slavery. 12 Years a Slave is the latest film from director uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, right. Must be noted, not the, the old actor. I know there was some confusion <laughs> about that when his name came up in a conversation I had with somebody the other day. Uh, Steve McQueen, who 
uh, has made a few films already. Two in particular I know of. Uh, the film Hunger from several years ago starring Michael Fassbender, who you're going to hear that name come up a bit because he and Steve McQueen are a little bit of a collaboration team right now. They also worked together on the film Shame that was just maybe two years ago. Something um, like that. Also starring Fassbender. Uh, where Hunger had to deal with captives uh, staging a hunger strike. In, yeah, it's was like it the in, Irish Republican Army right, type thing. Right. Yeah. And then Shame had to do with uh, sexual addiction. Correct. A uh, person dealing with uh, um, sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. So now we have 12 Years a Slave, which is starring uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Solomon Northup, who is a free man back in the, uh, the days after the Civil War. Freedman up north. He is, you know, not a slave. He is a, a very accomplished musician. He is a family man, very upstanding citizen. Uh, but while traveling, uh, fell into the uh, captive of someone who turned him back into a slave. Basically, basically stripped him of his rights, put him back into the slave trade, and uh, he had to live out his life as a slave for, as the title says, a full twelve years. Uh, it's based on a true story and based on a novel that was written by uh, or a biography written by Solomon Northup, an autobiography there about the experience. With this film, we have a very, very large cast. Even in fact, when I went into IMDb to look up some of the names, I mean, the <laughs> cast list scrolled on a very, very long time. And a sure. lot of people involved in this film, a lot of people with small parts. But it does document that 12 year period from cap- being captured and uh, against his uh, against his rights and turned back into a slave. And then finally, uh, not to spoil it, but I mean, as kind of the twelve years of slave title kind of gives it away that sure. we see it through the end of that period of time. With this, Chris, I, I'm I'm curious. You know, we've seen a few films in the last couple of years that are this whole taking a long period of time, a true story, and documenting it all the way through. Sometimes there's always a danger of if you try to capture such a long period of time, you kind of have to hit a lot of highlights and kind of gloss over it. Sure. Kind of that standard biography uh, picture thing Mm -hmm. that I always complain about. It feels like you're seeing more of a Cliff Notes version. Sure. Instead of really getting to dig into any of the events themselves. So that's my first question for you. With this film, with it being so expansive and such a long story to tell, do you feel like it accomplished what it needed to accomplish in telling the story the right way to make the most impact? Or did it fall into those same biography film type trappings? Well, for me, it definitely didn't follow or fall into a stereotypical biographic, you know, biographic pick. It, it was, it was very unique in that, to me, it definitely had the art house flavor. Okay. Um, even though, like you said, it did have a big cast, it never felt sweeping like a sweeping epic, which it could be because of the time period and because it's a story about slavery. You know, it could very easily be or slavery after the Civil War, but it could very easily have the type of scope. That like Lincoln did, you know, because mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, you think, okay, it's going to have lots of people, but it doesn't do that. It maintains a very small nature, even though it is telling a story of a guy who has moved around between plantations and he starts up north and, and, you know, you do have the period costumes and I'm not just, I'm not trying to say it looks cheap mm-hmm. or it looks like something that you would see on PBS. You know? right. It's not, it's not like that. So it really, I was really impressed with the way it told the story, but yet kept it very unique. Um, and I, I really responded to it and really liked, liked the picture. And I don't, I feel like, you know, with many movies, especially with this subject material about someone being a slave, you've seen similar stories of that time period. And for it to be that fresh and to keep it interesting to me, I would have thought that going into this movie that I would have felt like I had been in the movie theater for 12 years Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel that way. I thought it went really fast and it was refreshing to see something that touched on that subject matter and made it 
new, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Unlike, you know, Lincoln, not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination, but not a, not very fresh. Um, mm-hmm. And something that deals with not slavery, but deals with like, you know, racism or anything like The Butler. That was so stale and boring. So it's like this movie took some themes and made it new. So I, okay. that was kind of my take on it. Maybe the word you were looking for too is grounded. I think it was grounded. a much more grounded mm-hmm. film in that it didn't go for the sweeping epic feel. It didn't go for the over-the-top scenery and costumes and everything like that. It felt much more lived in. It mm-hmm. was just yeah. uh, it was the kind of way I took away from it. I see that? I, you know, I'm going to give this film a, an overall a positive recommendation, although mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a terribly <laughs> strong one. Okay. Um, I've got a few misgivings with the film. Really? Do you want to get into Oh, okay. yeah. But, uh, but let me talk about the things I liked as well. Okay. Um, Michael Fassbender. Oh, yeah. Just go ahead and say he he plays one of the uh, one of the plantation owners, one that has uh, a little more interesting personality quirks. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just thought he was again great. I I'm, I'm hard pressed at this point to find anything I've seen him do that I haven't thoroughly enjoyed. Sure. To the point where his character is is kind of in the middle of the film, plays a pretty big role in the middle of the film. Then he disappears for a while, and then he does show back up towards the end. And when he shows back up, it's one of those like, oh, good, his character's back on the screen. Even though you despise <laughs> him, you're happy to see him back on the screen because you've got something really interesting to watch at that point. Okay. And I'm going to call out somebody who played uh, one of the fellow slaves to Solomon. Uh, I believe it was Patsy, played by uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah. Uh, very, very good. I've never seen her in anything else. I don't know uh, how, how seasoned an actress she is, but I thought the scenes she was involved with, very, very good. She just she put on a very good performance there. Yeah, agreed. And I'll say with Chiwetel Ejiofor, he was fine as Solomon Northup. I Maybe his character was probably a little bit of my misgiving with the film, which I'll talk about in a hmm. little bit, some of my concerns. I expected a little more from his, his performance and I didn't get quite what I was looking for. But again, I've got a little more to talk about with that. That's a okay. bigger, that's more of a, a culprit of the film itself than it is in the story than it is his performance. I, I'm with you on kind of that art house feel to it. I mean, even though, yes, this was a starts on this, this time period and it ends on this time period and you've got to hit all these major events that go along the way, but they did enough with it interesting that you didn't feel like you were watching that standard biography film. Some of the use of very long, unnerving shots. Mm -hmm. One in particular, there's a shot where a character is hanging from a noose. Yes. But just barely able to touch the ground with his feet Mm -hmm. so that he was not dead, but he was definitely not comfortable in the slightest. Sure. And that shot, I mean, dare say, was that a three, four minute shot? I mean, it was long. It was a very long shot. And I could see some people in the audience squirming after about the first 30, 45 seconds, like wondering how long is this shot going to go on? Cause it was painful to watch. Mm-hmm. But I do think shots like that after the end of those shots, uh, I, I, I had to sigh a you know, relief. I mean, not out of boredom or anything. It was really, I was enthralled by it and actually kind of, it kind of built up some of that anxiety and in the emotion, I think they were trying to get out of you with those long shots. So sure. things like that, I thought were very nice touch and very, very well done by the film. I, I, I would agree. Um, and I think, kind of the hesitating frames and letting things linger that to me was more artfully done than if it just cut away, you know, it it makes you stay in that moment. There's a scene where a a slave is getting whipped. That's also pretty obviously brutal. And it just, I don't know. It kind of elevated the movie for me. And I will say, I thought the ending was powerful uh, without going into any details. Although I don't think it's what it could have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to spoil the ending, obviously. I don't want to spoil the ending, but it could have 
it, it should have been a better ending. I thought I I can see that. Yeah, sure. It was a good ending, and it was it did kind of punch me in the gut. It was an emotional ending for me, but it should have been more. Given what the film is about, the subject matter, the story, the the ending should have packed a lot more of a punch than it did. Okay, I feel like. Um, let me talk about some of the things I have some concerns about. Unless there are some other positive you I, want to pull. Well, out. I would actually I I touched on how I liked the cinematography, right? And I thought that was really good. Um, I will say the other thing that I appreciated was the soundtrack of the mm-hmm. the movie. Um, it incorporate he was a Solomon was a musician mm-hmm. and he played the violin and yes. it incorporated a lot of violin music even if he wasn't the one playing it and just I don't know I really appreciated the soundtrack. It kept in the period but yet was kind of odd and unnerving and to me. Um, it sounded like a, something Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead would yeah. have done. If it was very not that he was ripping off Johnny Greenwood, there will be blood, but it just it was reminiscent of that kind of new way of doing a soundtrack. Well, they didn't go for the sweepings, uh, swelling epic music, score. and the epic sure. score music. It was much more. I mean, the, there was a lot of music. It wasn't one of those where they tried to keep it more authentic and silent. I mean, there was music to accentuate scenes, but to write the music was much more. It's that grounded again. I just sure. felt like it was more of the day and not polished orchestrated music meant to evoke emotions this was more to carry a tone with the film i can't i can't wait for your uh, your negatives because i have one but i don't think you've even mentioned it yet so i, I can't wait for you I'm, i've got my defensive my i'm defensive gonna guess posture. i know what your negative is and if i'm right yes <laughs> i've got it on my list but okay. we'll see if we get to it here in a second okay we got to talk about some of the supporting cast and that does get into one of my areas of concerns okay we had a lot of bigger name actors show up in this film. Sure. Uh, Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Paul right. Dano, Alfre Woodard, and then somebody else we'll talk about in a moment. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, even Taryn Killam, who I like on Saturday Night Live, has a small role in the early in the film. Those, those little supporting actor, little guest star performances, whatever you want to call them, started to wear me down after a while. Really? Yeah. Because wow. it was almost more of a matter of, oh, look, look who they trotted out to play this part. Oh, I wonder who's going to be in the next scene. Oh, look, it's Sherlock. You know, it, it's just that didn't work for me. I actually would have enjoyed it more if it had been unknowns. Wow. Because I thought the the parts were right. I mean, the tone of those, the dialogue, the scenes that they ran were very well done. But it was just, I thought it was just distracting well, from a film that's meant to be so grounded. When you start throwing in big, big celebrity names and more into it, I, it just didn't work for me. I just didn't think it really kept with the tone of the film. Well, I, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Yes, the, the big names were there, but it didn't bother me. Unlike something like The Butler, where you had all these, which also had a huge cast. It did. And every time that was like fingernails on a chalkboard, every time yeah. they did. With like Giamatti, his performance, I thought was spot on. It wasn't over the top. No, it was I thought it was spot on. And you could have had somebody minor, but I think there was a little bit of gravitas that I think yeah. Giamatti brought to it that he was able to do. Not that an unknown couldn't have done it, but I think that it was allowed him to kind of have a little bit of extra flair in the role. Mm-hmm. Cumberbatch, there again, yeah, it could have been an unknown. He plays another slave owner that Northrop kind of wanders to his plantation at one point. I don't know. I thought he had a little bit of gravitas. There was a little something. Oh, it no, could have been an unknown. Good. They were all good. That's the thing. None of the ones I mentioned were bad in okay. their performances. They were very good performances. It's just a shame that it had to be the big names. Hmm. When even even uh, Chiwetel, he's a really good actor, and he's had some meaty roles in a few movies in the last few years, but he's not a household name. Hmm. Most of the American public watching this film won't know who he is. Hmm. So you had your mate, even Michael Fassbender, you could argue to some degree is not a household name quite yet. He's getting closer. Sure. Not quite there. I do say Paul Giamatti, 
Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, is a recognizable face enough by most people. I mean, he was now. in the Star Trek movie. He was in the Star Trek so. movie. Those are just the ones I just, I, it would have been nicer to have somebody smaller in those, <laughs> I guess. Usually, I, I think I'd be on the same page with you, but I'm, I'm I don't know. I hear what yeah. you're saying, but in this sense, I think you're wrong. <laughs> but can <laughs> but, we talk about Brad Pitt, though? Well, I, I Was kinda, that your one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I would. Well, let me just set it up sure, for everybody. Sure. Brad Pitt shows up four fifths of the way through the film. Right. Is a fairly pivotal role, even though he's only in it for like 10 minutes. Right. It's a very pivotal role. It is. It is. It is. And it's Brad Pitt. And he pretty much is Brad Pitt. And he's, he's the most jarring thing in the film where that was probably, you know, maybe, maybe let me back up. Maybe if Brad Pitt was not in this film, I would have been okay with all these other ones. Okay. Okay. And that's got to Brad Pitt. I'm like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You know, the last pivotal guest star role is Brad Pitt. And he plays like a really this, meaningful role in the He whole plays story. a savior type role. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. I, that, compl- that was fingernails on the chalkboard for me. And I even knew it was coming because I'd heard that he was in the film and he was a producer on the film. I knew he was a producer. I didn't know he was in it. And so that was bad for me. And I think the other cameos, if you want to call them those, the big name actors, their roles were good, but they weren't pivotal, so it didn't bother me. Okay, the yeah, problem was Pitt was pivotal, Pitt's and it pivotal. was very distracting. It very, is basically very distracting. he meets Solomon in a very short period of time. He makes a major impact on the storyline. Absolutely, and it's almost like we need somebody to play this extremely pivotal role. Oh, let's get Brad Pitt to play it. And, and I, of course, Brad Pitt is getting to play all rugged, and he's got long hair, and right. he's really not acting any more than Brad Pitt normally does. Oh man. It was distracting. See, I Brad Pitt, I'm not saying he's, you know, one of the best actors of all time. I like him though. I think he's I don't a, mind him. I think he's a good actor and I think in this instance, I think it was he had that role and the director just like went and took a coffee break and he just kind of had that scene. And I, th- I think the director actually, I will fault him. I think he needed to kind of rein in that performance a little bit and make it more subdued instead of like you say, it was kind of a Brad Pitt was in a different movie. Yeah. It was like he had been taken. He was like, yes. he had been taken from the Butler or he had been taken. Exactly. From, that scene was, like, was the most like the Butler of any of the scenes <laughs> in the movie. And the shame of it is that came so close to the end of the movie that that's what that's one of the ones you remember most. And yeah. of course it had the, uh, of all the supporting characters had the most impact on the storyline. Okay. I, I agree with you. On so that, that was that, a huge yeah. misgiving for me. And I guess Understood. in retrospect, as I looked at that, I thought, okay, all the other guest stars, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> irritated me. Sure. Yeah. If, if Pitt had not been in the movie, I probably could have watched it again and, and not minded the other performances or other appearances. Again, right. the performances were all really good. It was more the fact that it was the person that was playing them that I felt like was distracting and more of a, well, let's throw a little bone to the audience by giving them a big name that they can like, you almost hear everybody in the audience like, oh, look, it's Paul Giamatti, you know, showing up in a scene. It's like, that's not what I wanted. I wanted it to be a character that I was repulsive to me. And I didn't want it to be hinging on some big name actor to play. I understand. It, you know, so. Um, hmm. Interesting. The only other issue I had, and this is more of a story of the film, is I felt like the actual character Solomon Northup, the main character we're following. And this is going to sound very, this is going to sound very odd for me to say. Okay. But by the end of the film, when we get the ending, we do the end of the story for him. I felt like looking backwards that he was more of a bystander in all of the anguish and, and drama that was happening around him. Right. Where I would have felt looking back on the story. I mean, yes, slavery 
absolutely despicable and horrible. And it was just one of the worst things that anybody could have imagined being impacted. Sure. But to me, his situation of he was a free man with a family. Correct. That he got ripped away from Mm -hmm. and turned back into a slave for all this time. I never really got the sense through the film that it was really impacting him the way I thought it should have. Well, and I, I, the film to me was interested in, it's like it was, it wasn't interested in showing you a lot of depth of his character. It was interested in just kind of showing you like, here are all these different situations. And it didn't bother me that they didn't go down that road where it's not like, it's almost like it didn't really feel like a biography of him. Right. You know, it's like, this is kind of slavery and this is kind of a weird slant on slavery to give everybody watching this film an insight of what this world was like. Right. Which for that purpose, it works really, really well. It's just the shame of it is when we get to the end, the end is all about Solomon Northup. True. And by Where's that the point, rest of the film I just felt like, okay, so we haven't really earned this ending. Uh, I can see that. That's, that's probably my more my personal misgiving of the hmm. film. Okay. It doesn't make it a bad film. It's just, I think it would have worked better for me if we had gotten to know Solomon's character more, what he personally and emotionally was going through. Not what everybody else was. That was handled very well. Okay. It's more of, I wanted to see more his own personal experience and reaction to things and what he was feeling and going through, as opposed to just having to imagine it or assume it based on what he's seeing around him. And I, I, I understand. And I, I kind of saw that distance and I guess I, I liked it. Something okay. about me, I guess, because it was so it different worked for from, you. Yeah, yeah, it worked for That's me. Fine. The kind of detached difference. Yeah. Hey, we can we can have some different opinions on That's this one, true. but it sounds like we're both <laughs> saying we're admiring the film for what it is. Right. And it's just you and I just had different things that we kind of wanted out of it. So sounds like. Yeah. Um overall though, I'm gonna I would personally give it a positive recommendation. It's just it's not it's not I really went in hoping to love this film and I didn't love it. But I do respect it and I liked it. I would say it's worth checking out, it's worth seeing for sure. But there's just there was enough things that just really kind of jabbed at me to keep me from saying I loved it. I'm understandable. But you no, you I, a very positive. Review. I have a very positive review of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. I mean, right now it's being batted around as one of, you know, the top contender for best picture. I mean, is that, is it in the neighborhood that that for uh, you? For me, it definitely is. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Right. I think it's worth being one of the contenders. Um, I don't know if I'm willing to say it's the best yet, but hmm. okay. um, I have to kind of look back at the rest of the year and see how we feel about it for sure. Agreed. All right. Okay. So that's 12 Years a Slave. Uh, that's uh, Steve McQueen's latest film starring Chiwetel Ejiofor, Michael Fassbender, and Brad Pitt. Yes. So uh, <laughs> um, definitely worth checking out. We will say if you have a chance to see it, please try to do that. Uh, it's an important film, and I think the story itself is fascinating. I'm actually – Kind of curious to see if I can track down the book and actually mm. read this based off of. would be interesting to read. Uh, so let's move on to our second film, which is a documentary. And the documentary is called Blackfish. When you look into their eyes, you know somebody is home. They're an animal that possesses great spiritual power not to be meddled with. We need SO to respond for a dead person at SeaWorld. A whale has eaten one of the trainers. Blackfish is a documentary that focuses on a notorious killer whale called Tilikum, which is kind of fun to say, Tilikum. Mm-hmm. 
And this whale was responsible for the deaths of three different individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, The most recent one, I believe, was the one that was in uh, 2010. And it made a lot of news. And I remember hearing about it. It was uh, Dawn Brancho. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say her last name? I believe so, yes. And that kind of, I think, was also what spurred the documentary filmmaker to start making this movie was kind of the case that surrounded it. It ended up being a court case, legal matters in SeaWorld. Alan... I heard recently on Twitter mm-hmm. that a band that I like, Bare Naked Ladies, had seen this documentary. Mm-hmm. And after seeing this documentary, they then canceled a show that they were supposed to do at SeaWorld. And I thought, hmm, interesting. interesting. After you having seen this documentary, yes. how did you? How did it make you feel? And what are your feelings about SeaWorld? And do you think the documentary was manipulative? What, how do, and how do you feel about how do you feel about bare naked ladies? No, that's not important. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, Interesting questions all the way around, Chris. Yeah, this is this is a tough one for me. You, you, you probably know that I was a I, I was in on the debate team back in high school, a little bit in college as well, and just I kind sure. of enjoy the art of debate. Okay, and this this film has put me in a debate mode more than probably any other film I've had recently watched. Are we going to have as good a debate as we did about a hijacking about the corporate leader and about where we stand um, on his Maybe. <laughs> it depends on where you're going to come okay. from on this. Okay. So the idea of a debate is to have a really good debate, to have something where you can listen to the debate and really feel like you're, you're in the middle and you can make an informed judge's opinion. You've got to hear both sides. Mm-hmm. And both sides have got to be represented equally to some degree, even though the director in a documentary may already have a very personal opinion, which way he's going on this. Right. And he obviously has some control as to how they're going to craft the documentary to state their personal feeling or opinion, but you still hear the other side in a good documentary. You still see both sides so that you as a viewer can walk away saying, yeah, I totally get it. This side a is, is right on and side B they're a bunch of idiots and this does make sense. So my biggest concern with this film is that everything is from side A, mm-hmm. meaning the side of former trainers that used to work at SeaWorld who are now very negative on SeaWorld and their practices and what happened. Save okay. one. There's one guy okay. that's gonna, mixed in. I wish I could remember his name. I can't, but, I can't either, but he's a former trainer, which still kind of sided with SeaWorld. Wasn't a resounding endorsement of SeaWorld, but he kind of stuck up for them a little bit. Right. Besides that one guy who got a sliver of time every once in a while, it was all on the other side. Railing against SeaWorld. Now, somebody could look at this story and say, yes, absolutely, SeaWorld's at fault for doing all this stuff. Well, maybe. There again, with the film that we're shown, I didn't get enough to be able to base a true 100% opinion to say which way I felt like, who's at fault or who who's responsible or what happened here. Uh, if you're somebody who gets very easily swayed by hearing a lot of very emotional stories and re- recounting of experiences, yes, absolutely. SeaWorld is horrible in what they're doing. It's a bad situation. Uh, the trainers are put at risk every day. These whales are not being handled the way they should, all this other stuff. I just walked away from this film saying more of a feeling more of a, I didn't hear both sides. Hmm. And I'll give you an example. Okay. One of the biggest arguments that the former trainers who are now kind of speaking out about, about what's happening there said is that when they applied for the job to be a trainer, they were just kind of thrown in the mix with the water and say, here, go to it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, implying that there was no real safety training. or It was more like beef up and be an athlete as opposed to learn yeah. about the fish. Which, okay, if or that's true, animals. that's a problem. But hearing them just say that and kind of passing mm-hmm. without really being able to see 
what is the training program that they go through? Because somebody can look back in time and say, oh, yeah, they just kind of threw me out there and let me go. Uh, well, that their definition of that may have been they went through two solid weeks of training, but they thought they should have gotten more. You know, it's, it's hard to well, gauge what's going on. I, I'll agree, but how does the documentary filmmaker get SeaWorld to give them that access? Now, Because I'm, clearly, I, I think you and I are on the same, slightly same page. I liked this documentary, but I will admit it was troubling to me that in the back of my mind, I kind of kept wanting to hear SeaWorld's side. Yeah. And I never got that. Now, they did state at the end that they they, re- they reached out to SeaWorld many times and they denied. I Which, understood you know, big, big shock that it. SeaWorld would not agree to do it. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's, it makes it problematic to watch a film like this because it obviously is going for emotion. It's going for reaction. It's sure. going for you feeling horrified by what's happening and what's going on and kind of the negligence that's being put on throughout the the process. But I have a hard time buying the negligence part unless I can see that, yes, this is what the training program is like. And oh my gosh, the training is almost non-existent on how to safely take care of yourself around these animals. What about the disclaimers? What about the waivers that I'm sure these employees are having to sign when they come on board? You know, how, comprehensive are those how upfront is SeaWorld with the new employees when they come on board that hey listen guys there are risks here there are dangers we don't know that and it's almost like okay so everything is getting put blame on SeaWorld for doing this but yet does that mean that the circus if somebody gets mauled by a if somebody's a lion tamer and a lion uh, attacks one of the lion tamers that all of a sudden the circus is the bad guy for having a lion tamer in the first place well and my my counter to that would be that it is, I don't know how I feel about circuses, mm-hmm. but um, my response to that would be, um, hopefully there are veterinarians, and I've heard that there are veterinarians that travel around with circuses and they try to keep the animals in really good condition and they care about what happens to the animals. And from the way, again, we don't know SeaWorld side, mm-hmm. but it wasn't only that the trainers were in danger and that was very bothersome. And so, but what I also was concerned about was that it seemed to be very obvious even to tourists that were at SeaWorld and would see like, oh, yeah, there are all these marks on the side of the whales. And mm-hmm. it just it seemed very obvious that the animals were miserable. And I can't see. And I never got that. I mean, wow. I see the marks on the side of the animals, but I also see that from animals fighting sometimes and i mean that's what happens in the wild too i never got the sense yeah but in the wild they can get away well they're not in a pen where they can't move (laughs) you know it's one of those arguments that i mean i believe me i'm going on record saying that animals should be out in the wild as much as as possible i'm not advocating that animals should be pinned up and and treated like this sure however i i never got enough information from the document to the documentary to say that because of the conditions they were treated in, that was why these animals were reacting the way they were oh, sometimes. Oh, man. I never got that. Oh, man. I I, I, I did, and I, I just can't. They And there again, it would be interesting to hear SeaWorld side. Mm-hmm. But they said that the animals basically get depressed, and they their behaviors become depressed. One of the things they point out, which I thought was kind of fascinating, I remember when the movie Free Willy came out. Mm-hmm. I never actually saw it, but I mm-hmm. saw images from it. And the whale had like a a fin that was kind of droopy. Yeah. And it was pointed out to me at one time, well, yeah, you can tell that that whale's not really like a free whale or whatever. He's never going to be free because he's obviously been in captivity because his little fin's droopy. And I was like, oh, whatever. And I'd totally forgotten that conversation until watching this documentary. And they spoke about how whales, male whales that are brought into this atmosphere, 
within a couple of months or whatever, all of their fins droop. Whereas mm. out in the wild, that does not happen. And if it does, it's a very, very, very small percentage, like 1%. Mm. Right. And it's well, just like, I don't know. I just, so that one visual cue. Okay. Yeah. That that's out there. I just, again, I know early in the documentary, uh, when we, when we're kind of tracing a little bit of the history of leading up to SeaWorld, uh, it was, was it Sealand or what was Sealand? Sealand was Creative kind of, names there. Yeah. Yes. It was kind of the, early precursor to SeaWorld mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. not a very nice facility. It was very run down and small. And these whales were basically kept in this little metal shack back in the back of the, yeah, that I started, I got the picture there. Okay. That's not the way these whales ought to be taken care of. After that, I'm being told that the whales may be getting depressed at SeaWorld and don't like to be a captive. However, everything I see is big, expansive spaces high-tech facilities and all that. So right. it's just, it but, just didn't jive as but much. But the whale Tilikum came from Sealand to SeaWorld. He did. So he was damaged by the time he got to SeaWorld. True. World. Now, granted, <laughs> what was happening at Sealand, I absolutely, you know, sure. I don't think that was right at all. And I think the, the movie made a good case of stating that. And this made, all right, this, this, this segues into my next little point, which may sure. be a little controversial. Okay. All right. So when you go to McDonald's and you order your coffee in the drive-thru, and there was a lawsuit about this many years ago. Right. The coffee's really hot. You know that. You ordered coffee. And it says it on the cup now. Well, it, it says it on the cup now because there's enough idiots out there that say, oh, I didn't know coffee was going to be scalding hot. Well, coffee is meant to be extremely hot. Common sense, dicta- common sense tells you when you order coffee, it's going to be hot. Right. If you did not expect it to be hot and then you get burned, do you really have a right to be mad about the fact that you spilled some coffee on yourself and you burn yourself? I don't think you have a right to be mad. I think common sense, I think uh, in life, we ought to be using common sense more. Sure. So there's a little bit of me that wants to say, all right, people, you guys signed up to be trainers with wild animals in captivity. Now they can argue that maybe the training was not as good as it needed to be. And that's very possible without really knowing what the training and the safety precautions were, which I never really got a sense for. But at the same time, I've got to think that as a human being, when you elect to take a job where you're working with animals, especially very large with large teeth that are not domesticated in any way, shape or form animals, not meant to be domesticated. You do take a burden of risk on yourself on things. I almost felt like the documentary made went overboard in trying to say that everybody who chose to work at SeaWorld, if anything happened to them, it was a complete shock and a complete, this never should have happened. And my argument is, well, I mean, it's still wild animals. I mean, you know, sure. I had a dog in my house and, you know, the dog snapped at one of my kids one time. It's still an animal. You know, I made a decision to bring that dog in the house. That's on me. You know, it's not, it, anyway, that, that, like I said, it's a little more of a, theoret- a theoretical you know, discussion on that. Yeah, and I understand, but I, I blame SeaWorld for letting the trainers even have a job there. Like, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't discount the fact that, you know, you get in a cage with a lion. That could be potentially be dangerous. And if something were to happen, you shouldn't be surprised at it. My, my point is that I don't think that situation should have been allowed to occur to begin with. I don't blame the trainers. I don't blame the whales. I blame the theme park. I don't think that that idea, it should have never been in existence, I guess. Hmm. Um, I, aquariums are one thing, you know, but something that large, you know, small fish swimming around in a big thing, fine. But I, I don't know. It just, it, hmm. and it was interesting to, to I guess, see. I think we get in a real slippery slope on that then, I because can, then you could say, can see all that. right, well, so dogs and cats, should they be kept, you know, if I've got a mid-sized Labrador or, uh, you know, should it be kept in a house? 
that's that's you started getting. But you're not kind making of profit off that. No, I don't think I'm you're not. charging people to come see your dog at your. But house. But then we talk about <laughs> things like uh, you know people who do stunts. We talk about people who anybody who does dangerous things for a living or yeah. takes decides to take on a job. Is it the industry's fault that those jobs existed in the first place, or is it the people's fault for electing to take a dangerous job and then going to the press and talking about it when things go wrong for somebody else in that profession? I mean, it's there again. I guess straying pretty far away from the. I guess straying pretty far away from the documentary because, yeah. but it, you know, documentaries are kind of difficult to talk about anyway. Right, they um, are. And they pose. They generally pose more questions than they do, like, right. You know, an assessment or. But I would say this documentary was effective in that at least made me think. Yeah, and it, it did. did that. It I'll did. Give it, that. it did make me not want to go to SeaWorld. <laughs> I, and I, so, and I guess that's a bad thing because I didn't hear SeaWorld's side of it, but. If SeaWorld put out a documentary discussing this whole issue, I would definitely watch it because I'd be interested to hear well, their side of everything. I guess that's my biggest thing is that I wish there was more. I wish it could have been two-sided. And I'm not faulting the filmmaker because it does sound like they tried to make it two-sided. As but, I am. Yeah, you assume it, it said they made numerous attempts. Well, to your point, I will say, too, I, there again, can't remember the guy's name, yeah. but it's a shame that he wasn't allowed to maybe defend yeah. SeaWorld a little more because it sounds from the way you're led to believe led to believe it sounds like he might have done that so mm. it's a shame they didn't let him do that or yeah. you know would have made it a little uh, bit more balanced I will say just from a technical standpoint reviewing this as a film and not the subject matter or the or the the topic at hand you know I mean it was a good solid documentary but there was nothing about it that was from a filmmaking standpoint from a documentary standpoint nothing about it that was interesting to me it was a very cut and dry. We do our interviews. We do our headshot testimonials. We do our interviews. We splice it with B-roll. We take archival footage. We cut it together. It followed a fairly linear path. I mean, it was a very straightforward documentary. It was a good serviceable one. But it's honestly something I would have imagined more of a Discovery Channel uh, piece that they did or hmm. something on uh, you know, another another network, maybe a television producing if it's getting tons of praise as a documentary, I mean, I think it's a serviceable one, like I said, but I don't, I don't think there was anything about it that really like pushed it to this upper echelon of documentaries. Hmm. I look at the ones I've seen in the last couple of years and the ones we've talked about, uh, stories we tell, which granted questionable whether how much of a true documentary it was, but at least it was taking a novel approach to a story and trying to give us that information. Hmm. Then you look at uh, uh, Searching for Sugarman, which I think also took a very unique and very interesting approach to how it told its story. This one was pretty much by the book. We use B-roll footage, we use archival footage, and we use uh, interviews with the people. And that's it. We cut it together. It's very cut and dry, very simple, done. Well, and I I responded to it, I think, because it was that way. I don't, okay. you know, you and I differed on stories we tell. Yes. And it's because now I've kind of had a chance to think about it even more. I don't consider that a documentary. I consider that something like Exit Through the Gift Shop. I love the heck out of the Exit Through the Gift Shop, yeah. which was done by Banksy, and it talks mm. about graffiti. But it was never, in my mind, it was never intended to really be a doc. I don't know what it is. You're taking the documentary to be truly documenting something real and not manipulating it. Absolutely. Not, not I mean, you do manipulate just by side. how you choose to edit something. Sure. I understand that. But outside of personal bias that you may show. Basically, you don't have process. a lot of creativity in the way you show something. Okay. And stories we tell did. And it turned me off in a big way because it'd been labeled as such a documentary. Exit the gift shop. Not so much because it's like this weird animal hybrid. Well, I'll so, even say like man on wire is a good example to me of a more interesting documentary in that 
it told the story, it gave the interviews, but it did it did it in such an interesting way that you just marveled at the the, the filmmaking side of it. This one had nothing to marvel at okay. filmmaking wise. Uh, yeah. It was a very cut and dry. Sure. There again, uh, you know, most documentaries. This is what they seek to do. They're more interested in telling the story than they are trying to be artistic about it. And I get that. And this was a good example of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it worked for me. It was fine. Uh, it did definitely pose more questions in my mind probably by the end than anything. I'll say that it did trouble me a little bit because it it didn't make it cheesy. But the field trip that some of the former SeaWorld employees go on at the end, yeah, that, that to work. me that was over did not – it rang – over the top rang a little false. Well, so. and I, I mean, the first thing going through my head was, did these people even really know each other when they worked at SeaWorld together? Or have <laughs> they just now brought them together to look like their best friends having a reunion right. going on this boat trip? Yeah, that was over the top and right. unnecessary, I thought. Uh, and the other thing that just also kind of just irritated me, the first one or two times they used an old SeaWorld commercial or video clip that was a little campy, a little, you know, cheesy mm-hmm. and all that. The first one or two times they use it just juxtaposed with a more tragic story, like cut together. It was okay. But when it happened to be like four or five times, it was just, it was a little manipulative. I thought it's like, Mm. oh, let's show, ooh, look how happy and glossy SeaWorld tries to be in their ads. And then, oh, look what happened in in real life. It just, it was manipulative more than it needed to be, I guess. Hmm. That was the only two that the ending reunion scene and the, uh, the campy commercial juxtaposition juxtaposition uh, were just a little much for me. Okay. I didn't think you needed them. I think you got your point across without them just fine of what's going on here. So yeah, interesting. Uh, actually, this would be one if anybody else has had a chance to see it, it is available on iTunes and um, Amazon and other places online where you can rent it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it because this is definitely more of a discussion prompting film than probably any other we've talked about recently. And you'll probably be hearing more about it because it did make the short list of documentaries for mm-hmm. an Oscar. So it could be end up being one of the final five. So. Wow. That's still interesting to me. Okay. <laughs> no, I I responded okay to it. I just – I. I got my I got more questions going on in my mind about how I feel about it afterwards about the subject matter than than the film itself. Okay. So, so that's Blackfish documentary. Uh documentary filmmaker's name is Gabriella Capperwaith. That sounds close. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting name but I I like it. Sure. Um don't know anything about her. I didn't really do any research on her as a as a filmmaker but a well-made documentary. Definitely interesting topic matter too to to consider. Okay, Chris, we need something a little happier. Okay. Can we, can we do happy for the rest of the show? Sure. Okay, good. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's all happy, all (laughs) positive. The rest of the time here on foot candle films, we've got two quick reviews from Mr. Fry. I've got a couple news items and wrap up with our recommendations. So stay tuned Foot candle films. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to the mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This is Alan here with Chris as we talk about some films and movies and review a few and talk about some news and all that good stuff. Uh, we just finished our reviews, our downer reviews of the film Blackfish and 12 Years a Slave. Uh, let's go on to two films that maybe won't have quite that much of a 
depressing factor on the show. Say we, Chris? Yes. Uh, we're going to do something I call quick, Chris's quick reviews. These are films that you've seen, Mr. Fry, I have not seen. Okay. And in the essence of time and brevity, so we can move on with the rest of the show. Okay. I'm going to give you 120 seconds. That oh. is a two-minute window. Okay. To review the two, each, uh, each of the 120 seconds for each of the two films that you're going to review for us. Okay. Okay. Your first one, my understanding is the Disney animated film frozen. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Sure. And as I get ready to start the timer, are you ready with two minutes? Yes, I think so. I am starting the timer. Now you have two minutes. Go frozen. Okay. Story about taken from Han Christian Anderson fairy tale. And it basically focuses on the ice princess or ice queen. Who knows? But anyways, kind of an original story. I liked it. Um, it's cool that it didn't focus on celebrity voices for once. I walked into the movie, didn't know who all the voices were going to be. That was kind of cool. Kristen Bell, I only knew her from Heroes. She plays one of the um, voices for the girls. I didn't, didn't even know she could sing. Apparently she can. Uh, there was another, The Snowman, that you've probably seen in all the commercials. He's actually not annoying. He's kind of a funny character, voiced by a guy. Don't remember his name. Josh Gad. There you go. Mm-hmm. And he was in the Book of Mormon on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So he's funny. It was just refreshing to see also that in this movie, it did what Brave failed to do and Princess and the Frog failed to do in where it had a lead woman. Okay, that was unique, but that's been done before. But the lead woman was never a damsel in distress. She was strong. She was independent. And she had a guy help her at one point, help her to try to, her sister, basically it's two sisters and one, everything she touches is like goes ice. And so she has to like run away because people start hunting her like she's Frankenstein's monster. So her sister has to go and try to save her and help her. And it's interesting, but not save her as much as try to bring her back and tell her everything's okay. So it was just, it was very interesting Disney movie. Um, And there's actually a twist that I did not foresee coming, which, you know, you walk into a Disney movie, I'm sure planes was filled with twists and turns and you had no idea what was going to happen next. A lot of messages and everything. Yeah, it was very deep. (laughs) But this, you know, you walk into any kids movie, which this is obviously good family holiday film. And you think, you know, okay, this is where it's starting. I know where it's going to end. I wonder if it's going to end happily, you know, but you kind of know everything that's going to happen. Minus you don't know what the musical numbers are going to be. But this this held my attention and I wouldn't mind actually seeing it again, which for a kid's movie, that's pretty impressive to be able to say. So I, I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, good for the holidays. Take the whole family. I think, ah, okay, there we go. There's our two-minute warning. (laughs) Oh, Chris, you did pretty good, man. You actually gave a very full-featured, very introspective review in two minutes. Not that bad. Not bad. I don't really have any follow-up questions because you actually answered the questions I was going to ask. You said the music was pretty good? Yeah, and that, you know, a lot of people are hearkening back to things like The Lion King is the one I hear the name tossed out a lot. You know, I'd have to see the music again or have to hear the music again to say like, okay, yeah, it's as good as the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack Mm -hmm. or the Aladdin soundtrack. But what I can say is that at least I wasn't irritated and I felt like they stuck the songs in just because they wanted to make a Disney musical. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And the, the snowman song that Josh Gad does is hilarious. Okay. So okay. I, I'll, you know, maybe it's not, you know, Oscar tier Disney worthy music, but it's, it's pretty good. So. Well, I'm, at, I'm I've been really curious to see Disney's animation progression back over the years. I mean, if you remember, they hit their peak really was little mermaid, beauty and the beast, Aladdin, lion King. Mm-hmm. That was like, the top. I mean, that was just, they could do no wrong in the animation department. Then it started to slip to a a good period of, you know, 20 years almost where 
Yeah. Animation wasn't that great. Right. There's a lot of uh, second run movies, a lot of straight to DVD releases. Mm-hmm. Pixar became the one that just kind of took it over and ran with it. Right. Now, of course, Pixar is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. I assumed that Disney was going to scale down its animation and just let Pixar become its animation group. But that's not what they're doing. They've actually ramped up their animation. Sure. Wreck-It Ralph, Tangled, mm-hmm. now Frozen. Um, oh, Tangled was another one that was like a damsel in distress. Yeah, I mean, it was like, but it, they're good movies. I mean, very well, better yeah. made movies sure. uh, in general. So to see that quality starting to ramp up, and according to what you and I both said about Brave, a uh, Pixar film that we didn't really care for, right. uh, Monsters University was okay, but okay. Disney could have done it. It didn't have that Pixar touch to it. Right. I don't know. I think Pixar, I mean, it's weird to say Pixar versus Disney because they're technically the same company. Yeah, I can't keep them straight. I think I they're going to kind of blend together over time and just be this premier animation studio, Agreed. which I'm fine with. Yeah. So. Okay. Two minutes was actually a lot longer than I expected. So let's see. But you may have a little bit more to say about this next one. Uh, the Hunger Games sequel just recently came out. Yes. Uh, it's called Catching Fire. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, and even though this isn't a tr- 100% sci-fi film, I know you are a film of, a fan of the genre of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. This has enough sci-fi elements in there. Yeah. I'm curious to hear. Tell us what you thought about this film, and I'd love to actually hear in relation to what you thought about the original in comparison. And go. Okay. If you liked the first film, okay, Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games, clever title. Yes. Then you will like Catching Fire, or The Hunger Games, colon, Catching Fire. That'll be on the movie poster. Yes. Quote, if you like The Hunger Games, <laughs> you'll, you'll like this. Catching Fire, Chris exactly. Fry, for Candle Films. <laughs> exactly. Um, because, you know, it it's follows the same characters. It's the same storyline. You had the battle to the death between a bunch of kids in the first movie, and then... Katniss gets thrown back into the same situation again. She was the heroine from the first film. She's thrown back in the same situation with a couple little different twists, but it's basically high stakes that are even higher this time. And the movie was entertaining. It worked. They have Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this movie and he plays the game maker, which had a different guy playing the game maker in the first film. Mm-hmm. He was a welcome addition for me, for him to be in there. Um, it was kind of cool to see him, get to play the character that he got to play. Mm-hmm. I, I think the film suffers, the first film suffered a lot from it, had a lot of baggage about setting up relationships, which I guess any first film is going to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one I felt kind of jumped more into, okay, here's the stakes that are going on. Here's the situation and getting them into the arena. My regret is that we didn't get a lot more time in the arena because the setup is really cool. It's basically they have all these little um, pitfalls and dangers that can befall them when they're in different areas. And it was I wish there would have been a little bit more explanation. Unfortunately, I did read the book. So I bring that, you know, bias with me to the film. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't keep me from enjoying the film. It was you know good enough on its own right. And of course, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, she is good. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think she's good in everything she does. And what's amazing for me is that. I buy her as being, you know, a younger teen, but yet in Silver Linings Playbook, I bought her, you know, bought her being this, you know, older, you know, much more mature woman. So that was two good. minutes are up. Okay. All right. Very nicely done, Chris. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good at this whole two minute review thing. So maybe we just make the whole show. Just talk really fast. Just Chris, two minutes reviews <laughs> and that's it. Uh, yeah, I actually finally caught up with the original Hunger Games not too long ago, maybe just a few months ago and uh, was pleasantly surprised. Better than I expected it to be. Okay. And uh, so I am curious to see Catching Fire now. Uh, I do think Jennifer Lawrence is an extremely talented actress. Very excited to see and hear her in uh, David O. Russell's American Hustle coming out this Christmas. I, uh, You're not interested? No, oh, I'm I am. not. I'm terribly interested. I just feel uh, like it's just 
him making like, you know, Goodfellas again. Well, which, you know what, David O. Russell making Goodfellas, I'd be okay with that. I'm fine with that. Huh. I, I, I love Silver Lines Playbook. I love the, 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 uh, the, the, the fighter, um, flirting with disaster, huh. uh, three Kings. I mean, yeah, I'm even I heart Huckabees. Love now it. I heart Huckabees. It's a great I do film. really like that. It's a very good film. Um, but also I didn't mention this in my two minute synopsis, but what bothers me is the third movie. There were three books. So, you know, you can assume there's going to be another movie. Uh, but apparently it's not just one movie. It's two movies. They're pulling, they're pulling they're, the uh, Deathly Hollows thing to it. So they're yeah, doing part thank one, God part they're two. not pulling a Hobbit where they're making three movies yeah. out of one book. But they are pulling to, And I'm just uh, – I have no tolerance for that. I don't understand why they're doing I mean, I know why they're doing it. But I just uh, – very, very irritating. You're not a big fan of the taking a story and splitting it into two movies thing, are you? No. Okay. I'm a fan of – doing what they did with Goblet of Fire, which was a Harry Potter movie, really long book. They just left out some stuff and still made a good movie. If you're that interested in it, go read the book. Mm. <laughs> you know? Okay. So I don't, I don't mind. I like more opportunities to get into the movies and see good movies. So <laughs> it's fine by me. Thank you, Chris. Frozen and Catching Fire, both positive reviews from Mr. Fry. Yes. Um, you know, sounds like a good time at the movies in either direction there. So a couple quick new, news items. Not going to go too long on this because I, I want to be respectful of everybody's time listening to the yes. show. We are all busy people. It's the holiday season. We're trying to give you your money's worth. Oh, wait. You yeah, don't actually pay for this. Right. You, yeah. <laughs> considering it's free. Right. We hope you got your money's worth in the first five minutes. So <laughs> we're, this, all this is now more bonus. There you go. Question for you, Chris, on the movie news front. This isn't really movie news, but just more curiosity for me. Sure. This time of year, we start to get flooded with Christmas movies showing mm-hmm. up on TV, showing up everywhere, being pushed down our throats. Sure. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? <sighs> you know... I don't, you know, well, I mean, unless you consider Nightmare Before Christmas, which I don't know what you consider that Christmas That's versus kind of a hybrid. I, yeah, I'd, I'd say that could still fall in the Christmas category. It's one of my favorite do. movies. Sure, I knew that. Um, I'm, I'm actually fairly fond of, which I didn't realize until recently, I'm fairly fond of Elf. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So okay. um, those, those two I'm really fond okay. of. Um, how about you? Do you have favorites? Yeah, it's just a personal thing for me, but sure. I really, really liked Scrooged. Uh, the Bill Murray I movie. I need to revisit that one. That one still, I think I just saw it at a good time, I think in high school. And it just really, I was a big, huge Bill Murray fan to begin with. And I just think anything he does is hysterical. And I love the Christmas Carol story. So yeah, any kind of yeah. adaption of that with Bill Murray in the, in the lead, I'm all for. Is it, it is it family friendly or no? For the most part, there's a couple scenes that are a little more, a little more questionable, but if okay. you've got some preteens, you know, they're fine with okay. it. It's nothing they haven't heard before one thing that i saw recently that i thought was interesting and i didn't know this when i watched it. i think i've only seen it once mm-hmm. was that bill murray has siblings apparently he has like two or three brothers they're all in this movie yes, with him are. and i didn't know that yep. so that's that's cool do you know do you know if they play like big role or not big roles well, one of like, them plays his brother oh really uh, so he's actually got a brother in the film just like scrooge ha- okay mm-hmm. huh. yep. um, interesting so one of the, his brothers plays his brother Cool. That he actually sees in the present day when oh, he goes wow. to, to tour. Okay. And then, um, isn't it Brian Doyle Murray is his other brother? And I think he has a part in the film as well. So anyway, hmm. yeah, they're cool. in there. All right. um, I just, I think it's funny. The ending still always kind of makes it a little, you know, gets me a little, little. Gets a little misty eye. A little, misty, little okay. misty eye there. So sure. <laughs> It's even kind of scary at times, too. I think it's a fun movie, so I like that. Okay. Well, while we're talking Christmas, um, even though I'm trying to reach for the connection here. Sure. Come the next couple years, we're looking at it being a a festive feast for anybody that's enjoying these superhero movies that are coming out. (laughs) Okay. Because just when you think they're starting to die off, they start keep 
pushing forward with even more fervor. Sure. I mentioned to you a few episodes ago about the whole Man of Steel sequel. Right. That has now thrown Batman into the mix. So it's Played going by to ben, be Affleck. Ben, ben Affleck versus the Man of Steel. So Superman versus Batman type of thing. Right. We'll see how that goes. I'm okay with that movie. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. Well, just this week they announced another addition to the film. The same film? Yeah. Really? They cast someone, a young lady named Gal Gadot, who I think has been in the Fast and Furious movies for a while. Somehow I've missed her performance. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. (laughs) And uh, she's been cast as Wonder Woman. So we now have even more characters in the movie. Oh, no. My enthusiasm for the film is starting to wane just because I'm afraid they're Not Bruce Wayne, just Wayne. Yeah, right. Gotcha. Very nice. Uh, Good. Uh, Just because I'm afraid if the whole let's dump too much stuff into a movie. And I know what they're trying to do. Warner Brothers owns DC Comics. They're trying to do an Avengers thing. to make their own Justice League (sighs) in building it up. And I'm just afraid, you know, let's, let's just give it time superman as a character needed another movie on its own i felt like probably to build that franchise up to all of a sudden now cram everything into the second one i think it's just rushing it and i'm afraid it's gonna be a little overdone it's my gut feeling right now uh, that sounds that, that has me extremely worried well and to, to boot on top of that i was a pretty big fan of the amazing spider-man movie we reviewed it on the show here a couple a few years ago mm-hmm. you not so much not so much. Um, you were more frustrated that it was just a retread of stuff we've already seen and all. Nothing nothing really new added. I personally liked it better than the original Spider-Man movies because I thought it was more what I wanted out of a Spider-Man film. Okay. I could ignore the fact that they had the previous trilogy. I just kind of wiped this from my brain. The sequel has the fresh. worst title ever. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Well, I mean, really? there's a lot more going on with that sequel that I'm cur- concerned about right now. Do tell. Uh, a brand new trailer came out yesterday. Hmm. That I was anxiously anticipating. And so you probably watched it. I did. (laughs) Uh, My understanding with this film is it was going to be a continuation of the first film. And the bad guy was going to be Electro, played by Jamie (laughs) Foxx. Okay. Interesting. I'm I'm fine with that. Sounds good to me. Interesting. I was waiting for the buildup. That had been all the pre-press about it. That Jamie Foxx was going to be the bad guy. He's going to be Electro. And it's going to be all this. Hmm. Well, then slowly they've been releasing other little details about other people who are going to be in the film. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Paul Giamatti is going to be in it, and he's going to be playing the Rhino, another bad guy. Hmm. Then you've got uh, Dane DeHaan, who, uh, did you ever see Chronicle, the film? Oh, no, I still haven't seen okay. it. He plays one of the kids there, the more okay. interesting ones, I'll say. Okay. He's an up-and-coming actor. He's got some other roles he's coming up in soon. You're going to hear a lot more about him. He's been cast in the movie, and he is playing possibly another villain. Well, sure enough, the trailer came out, and yep, that's exactly what it is. I counted three Possibly four villains. Oh in my this goodness! Movie. That wow. Uh, you think they would have learned from the Spider-Man? Was it Spider-Man Three mm-hmm. that did? Um, it was Venom, Venom and Sandman, Sandman. All that, and, and that was Plus just a two. Green Goblin guy, right? In there too. So the, yeah, you think they would have learned much. from that? I'm really nervous now. It's the same guy directing it, Mark Webb, which I have complete confidence in because I like the guy. Huh. I think he really did the right job with the first film he did. Uh, I'm just I'm really worried now. The trailers. Over-the-top CGI, lots of big action sequences. I'm worried. Uh, I wasn't worried before I saw the trailer. Saw the trailer, I'm worried now. So I've just got to go on record with that. So why is it that it seems like you're okay with multiple good guys, Avengers? It's multiple bad guys that you're not okay with? Well, it's it's more just watering down the film. The Avengers took a concept that I was actually a little nervous about when I heard. I think they did a good job with it. 
I wish there had been a couple of characters they could have spent more time with, but otherwise it would have been a three and a half hour movie. <laughs> sure. So I think they did the best they could. And again, they've been building up all these characters individually for a while. For a while. So right. it's like when you throw them together, it wasn't like we only got 10 minutes with each character to get any kind of development. I got you. My concern here is that you start cramming in these villains, these bad guys. And normally in superhero films, the bad guys are the ones who get a lot more of the chewing the scenery, the big scenes. Yeah. You kind of let the hero kind of get diminished. Right. And that's the focus on Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy in the first film was what I really liked about it. Gotcha. So I'm just concerned that they're going to be minimized screen time to play up all these big CGI, other bad guys. And we're really going to have a big mess of a movie. That's my concern now. I hmm. hope I'm wrong. I hope well, I'm wrong. You know, I, I don't know which will be a bigger mess. <laughs> Wonder Woman coming into uh, Superman, Batman, or having three villains. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it'll be an interesting couple of years coming up with films in general. I mean, we've got the new Star Wars film in 2015. Right. We've got the Avengers 2 coming out in 2015. We've got Amazing Spider-Man 2 coming out next May. <laughs> we've got um, the Man of Steel sequel. I think it's either late 14 or sometime 15, maybe. Wow. Uh, it's going to be... You know, interesting. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's my news for now. Okay. Let's move on to our last segment of the show. This is where we like to pass along a recommendation of a film you may want to check out. Hopefully one you can find streaming online or available for rent online. Chris, yes. let me just ask you this. Is your is your film a highbrow, like uh, artsy, intellectual film or not? Wow. Um, I'm just trying to decide who goes first because I oh, want to pick a tone that we leave the show with. And I'm, oh. Um. I mean, it's not depressing, so... Because okay, mine is a completely dumb, idiotic comedy. Oh, okay. Well, mine's not that. Okay. So. <laughs> How about let's try to end on a more of a classy note. Oh. So let me go first, <laughs> and then I'll let you end with okay. a little more a little more provocative film, possibly, than what I'm going to bring up. Okay. Is that fair enough? Sure. So my recommendation... <laughs> I can't wait to... I wonder if I've seen this movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't think you have. Okay. So I've been watching the TV show Brooklyn Nine-Nine with... Uh, uh, my family it has Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg. And, okay, yep. it's a very funny sitcom. I've heard that it's supposed to. It's be actually good. more like a you know a, a, like an old seventies cop sitcom. So it's not like Barney Reno nine one one. No, no, no. Okay. This is it's not done in the documentary style mockumentary okay. thing. This is a true straight out sitcom. Okay, in a police station, and it's very funny, and I like it a lot. So it got me curious. I was bored one morning, and I was flipping around Netflix. Andy Samberg has a movie that he did while he was still in Saturday Night Live. Oh, no. Uh, called Hot Rod. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen this, this movie? This is a recommendation. <laughs> have you seen this movie? Uh, yeah, but I think I tried to forget that I have. But I, I have will seen say it. I was in the right frame of mind for this movie at the time. Um, had you been to a bar? <laughs> Maybe. Um, I think Hot Rod, because I expect it to be the dumbest possibly movie I've ever seen, I actually came out of it laughing a lot more than I expected to laugh. Hmm. Uh, I'll just say this. I gave a recommendation several months ago of the film MacGruber. Yeah. If you liked MacGruber, if you thought MacGruber was a hoot, <laughs> a hoot, then Hot Rod for free on Netflix is worth your hour and a half. Okay. If you saw MacGruber and said, oh my gosh, I will never listen to another recommendation <laughs> that Alan gives on the show, then whatever you do, do not watch Hot Rod. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> okay? it is dumber than MacGruber. It is worse made the MacGruber, but I still found enough to be 
amused by. Which do you think is the better, shall we say, film? I don't know if you can call those films, but which would, would you say was the better movie? Um, oh, MacGruber, the better, MacGruber, oh, the better movie yeah. was MacGruber. Okay, because I haven't seen that, and that's actually on a list that I, I do want to see. So, <sighs> But if you thought Hot Rod was absolutely horrible, uh, I don't know if you're going to come away really impressed <laughs> by MacGruber. I, that's, just, it's, that's good. I like this. I like people actually setting my expectations low. Okay. So you're, you're doing MacGruber a favor. I just think uh, Hot Rod is Andy Samberg as a stunt guy on motorcycle who thinks he's a really good stunt man and uh it's just it's idiotic but it's it had a lot of funny parts to it to the point where i was actually rewinding some of them wow okay yeah um you know it was funny enough basically it's his lonely island trio of guys his comedy group Hmm. that would do all the digital shorts for saturday night live okay one of those three directed the film while another one played his brother this is the same group that made mcgruber although it did not star any of them in mcgruber one of them was the director and they helped co-write it so Uh, they're kind of a comedy troupe that is making some inroads in films and skits and all that online anyway (laughs) hot rod it's on netflix it's for free if you're a netflix subscriber it's less than 90 minutes long i think you know what you want to watch something dumb and you like mcgruber all right give it a shot here you go I okay. think it's and it's McGruber was R is high right R. I think it's more like PG thirteen. Okay, so. it had some questionable moments in it for the kids, but <laughs> I mean there were just enough funny parts on it. Sure. Okay, so bring us back up, Chris. I I, I took us from the beginning of the show, depressing movies with very very serious tones. We went down to the superhero. We went even deeper down for the dumb comedies. Come on, you got to rise us back up a little bit to end the show here. I, I think I think I can do that. Okay. Um, the film I'm going to recommend is the newest by Noah Baumbach, and it's uh, Francis Ha. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Good. And so it, he shot it in black and white, mm-hmm. and it stars his, I guess, partner. I don't know if they're actually married or not, mm-hmm. but uh, Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. And. I really thought it was, you know, it's shot in New York and it's, it seems like it's kind of a modern day Woody Allen film, like a modern day mm-hmm. Manhattan, you know, right. cause it was shot in New York and it is in black and white and it follows Francis Ha, who's kind of a quirky, a quirky person. You yeah. know, it's kind of like Annie Hall, except Annie Hall kind of had it together for Woody Allen and his film and Francis Ha or Francis Ha does not have it it's together. It's like she <laughs> wants to be a dancer, but. She she's, wants to be a dancer yeah. and uh, she does, she is involved with a dance troupe, but it's more like she's kind of part time with them and she bops around from different apartments and doesn't really have a plan for herself. Mm-hmm. And what I really related to is it made me think of how I felt right after I graduated college mm-hmm. and you have, you see yourself and you get your job and you're thinking, okay, now what am I going to do? Is this, is this where I'm going to be? Is this what I'm doing for the rest of my life? And you may have other friends that do random, really odd things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it just really reminded me of that period in my life. And I thought it was a very honest portrayal and it didn't know Bombach sometimes I feel like can be kind of mean towards his yeah. character, like squid and the whale and then Margot at the wedding. Those are the two that I'm thinking about. Um, where he, the characters are kind of demeaned or he's Mm. like kind of real unflattering portrayals of people. And I never thought maybe it's because Greta Gerwig helped write the script and she's the lead character. Maybe that helped soften his Mm -hmm. edges, but this is the most mainstream, if you can call it that Noah Baumbach movie. I laughed a couple of times. I mean, more than a couple. I I just really responded to it. Thought it was really good. Um, Probably one of the year's best. Oh, wow. Um, so I've heard I really good things about it, it, and that's the one I've got queued up to try to watch sometime soon as well. So Very cool. Definitely worthwhile. It's on Netflix, isn't it? It is. Yeah, mm-hmm. very nice. Good. Okay, well, thank you for classing the joint up a little bit more <laughs> here at the end, all right? Between, okay. my, between my Spider-Man and Hot Rod, I mean, I feel like a 12-year-old boy doing a <laughs> film review show here at the end. 
Somebody's got to make it not so snobby. So, yeah. You know. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, 12 Years a Slave. Pay attention to come Oscar time because I'm sure it'll be m- mentioned and talked about a good bit. I'd be surprised um, if it wouldn't. The documentary Blackfish, available online to watch on streaming or purchase for now. Sounds like I'm a little bit more positive on it than Alan. Yeah, I think you were more positive on both the films than I was. Yeah, I was a little more yeah. muted on both of them, if you noted. Uh, not saying either one is a bad film sure. at all. Uh, sure. I actually still would recommend seeing both of them. Just right. I, I just didn't respond to either of them quite like you did. Got you. Uh, then we got Chris's uh, positive takes on Frozen and Catching Fire. Good. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, and then we talked about the Man of Steel sequel, the Superman sequel, or Spider-Man sequel, uh, Scrooged, Nightmare Before Christmas, Elf, some movies to check out over the holiday season. We don't have another show until 2014, mm. correct? So I think that might be right. Yeah. I don't think we're doing another one. Well, maybe. Maybe we are. <laughs> Stay tuned. Maybe there's another episode we'll squeeze out there. Actually, you know what? I think there is. Okay. That's right. It's early December. We got another one still. So, you know, these Christmas recommendations of films, uh, you know, you can go ahead and watch them now. Here I mean, everybody else has started their Christmas celebration like two months early. So sure. go ahead and jump on in there. You can, <laughs> you can go see them now, too. So we may have another show before the end of 2013. Pretty soon we'll be doing our best films of the year for 2013. We're going to try to at least mention some of those. And Chris, go ahead and be looking up to uh, figure out what may be your worst film of 2013. Also, I'm not even sure I have to think that hard about it. (laughs) Wow. You're already that confident with it. Do not tease and tempt me with what it is. I want to be surprised when we hear it. Okay. So with that, we're going to wrap up today's show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Again, this is Foot Candle Films on TheMesh.TV. Go to TheMesh.TV and look up and all the programs and shows available to listen to. Find Foot Candle Films on there and you can see all of our back episodes. Post a question to us on the Contact Us page um, or follow us on Twitter or on uh, Facebook through our film society, which is the Foot Candle Film Society. If you go search for that at footcandle.org, Uh, You can learn a little bit more about our film society that actually helps kind of spur some of the reviews that we do every once in a while. Um, We bring a show here to Western North Carolina at least once a month. Uh, Big membership, almost 500 members now. Looks like we've got coming out to see films. And uh, that gives us a lot of the good information and uh, films to review here on this show as well. So a lot of ways you can learn about us and get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Did you see any of these films and have questions or comments or agreements or disagreements with us? We'd love to hear from you. Okay, Chris, I think that's it. So unless we get back together again, I think we will in December. So I will not say Happy New Year to you yet. We will wait until a couple more episodes to do that. I have some eggnog Christmas cookies. Sounds good Discuss a couple of movies. All right, everybody. Uh, Have a great time uh, checking out some movies and letting us know what you think of these. Uh, Until next time, this is Foot Candle Films. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.